entertainment producer, Scooter Braun turned a golden ear for talent and a brilliant mind for marketing into a perpetual stream of platinum hits. This is his blueprint. basketball. I know you were uh, very active as a young man uh, in high school with aspirations to go to the, the NBA. My aspirations for the NBA ended when I got to high school. Okay. Because um, I started playing AAU basketball and I started realizing that God didn't give me those gifts, but I could shoot with anybody. So that was fun. So I knew I could just make a team. How did that inform the beginning of your career and how's that sort of evolved within you over time? My dad was a coach. And I used to get so frustrated with how some of my AU teammates would treat my father because I knew how much he was giving up to be there for them. And I would go home and see the extra time he put in to our team and to helping, you know, others. And sometimes they wouldn't appreciate him. And I got so frustrated. Finally, I said to my dad, I was like, how do you deal with this? And he said, the thing about being a coach is the wins are yours, the losses are mine. Because that's what you sign up for when you become a coach. I'm not here to celebrate when I win. I'm here to give you the win. He goes, but when we lose, I have to take the blame. And I'm okay with that. That's what a coach does. And I feel like my career, I have to play the role of coach. I have to kind of take that same mentality on. And I got that from him. So you show up your first day at college at Emory. Did you have any idea what you wanted to do, where you were going with your life? I chose Atlanta because I knew no one there. And so when I arrived at college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to be Scott Braun, the basketball player anymore. And so I literally came to Atlanta, took my nickname, which my best friends called me at home, Scooter, became Scooter Braun full-time. I had an amazing high school experience, but I just wanted to be my own man. You know, I got there and it wasn't until I kind of started doing fake IDs and then into parties. Tell me about the fake ID business. So a buddy of mine, was selling fake IDs. I'm gonna get in trouble for this, I'm sure. I told my friend, look, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna be your salesman. You're gonna make me 50-50 partner. And my rule was never tell me your real name, never come back. And like the first break we had in the year, he calls me and he's like, come into New York City, meet me at this hotel, I'm throwing a party. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I go in and he's got girls running around all over the place. And one of them walks up to me and says a fake name. How are you? And I realize he's keeping in touch. And I was like, I'm out. And I never sold a fake ID again. Sure enough, you know, a couple months later, he got caught. That's what led me to parties because the hustle had started. Okay. And um, I ended up saying to this club owner, hey, if I bring people next week, you know, you think you give me some money? First party, 800 people came. There, you know, what really triggered it wasn't the college parties. It was an actor who showed up at that party who showed me the other side of Atlanta because Atlanta was segregated at that point. White people were listening to techno. And their clubs, black people listen to hip hop, and you didn't really see black and white together in a nightclub. And an actor named Jason Weaver uh, showed at my party, and I knew who he was because he's always on that VH1 Michael Jackson family movie. Mm-hmm. He plays a little Michael. Jason said, You want to see how the other, other half lives? I was like, What are you talking about? And he brought me to Velvet Room Tuesday nights. And that's where I met Alex Gidewan, who uh, was the biggest promoter to that scene in Atlanta, and he taught me how to promote. So. You drop out in your sophomore year of college? Yeah. Um, After Jermaine gives me the job. Okay, well, how do you meet Jermaine? 
everybody in Atlanta would come kind of, kind of to my parties because I had access to all the college kids and that's a great place to break your records or see if they're working. And we also just had fun parties where it was just a lot of different types of people. Jermaine started coming and then he, at the time he was dating Janet and he started bringing Janet to the parties. And then one day he calls me and he's like, can you come meet me at Eddie Skeeter Rock's birthday? who's his best friend since middle school and who's the head of A&R at SoSoDef. And we go to this place, this lounge, and he takes me to the downstairs to talk alone. And there's stools. And Jermaine is, is not the tallest gentleman in the world. So he, I'll never forget, he gets on this stool and he's talking to me, but I'm more fascinated that his legs are going like this because they can't touch the floor. <laughs> and I'm kind of just like trying to like pay attention, but also being like, he's not that tall. <laughs> but he's like, I want you to come you know, work with me and I want to show you like the other side and like, you know, Russell found Lior, you're going to be my little Lior. Within six months, I was the vice president of marketing. I ended up dropping out of school. You know, you're 20 years old and he puts that puffy so-so def jacket on you, that starter mm -hmm. style jacket. It's just scooter with the big so-so def. Like I was wearing that to the college bar. Like, yeah. I just thought it was the man. How did your parents take you dropping out of school? So for the first year, they didn't know. Uh -huh. where, where were those tuition checks going? Well, I was paying. Oh, okay. I said to my parents, you know, because I'm doing this business and you guys don't really understand it, I want to show you how lucrative it is. I want to pay the bills. But I wasn't going to class. And um, I didn't want to tell them, so I wanted the mail to keep going to them. So I actually paid until they kicked me out because I was so afraid to take But I wasn't going to school. I was dropped out, but just paying memory to send my parents mail. <laughs> and they called me in to meet with this academic advisor. And I go and I sit with him. And at first, the first couple minutes is him like trying to see if I have a drug problem or see if there's something really horrible going on in my life. Like, what is the cause of this drop? And I said, no, it's nothing like that. I'm actually an entrepreneur. I'm working. I'm trying to build something for myself. And Emery isn't conducive to the lifestyle that I'm living trying to do this. And he stops me and he says, I want to tell you a story. And he tells me this story about Robert Woodruff, who's the number one endowment to Emory University. I'm sitting there thinking, this is amazing. He gets me. This guy is going to help me be like Robert Woodruff. And at the end of it, he looks at me and he goes, and I want stories like that are amazing, but they're one in a billion. <laughs> so I want to get you back on the right track. And I just kind of like got real quiet. It hit me that he was basically shitting on my dream. <laughs> I, I raised my hand and I said, I really understand what I have to do.